Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Jimmy, welcome. We're back. We're doing it again. Yeah, I love it, man. Uh, it's good to see you. A beautiful sunny day here in Columbus. And uh, I know we've got lots, of, lots to talk about. Yes, indeed. And it's a fun conversation to have on a Friday because <laughs> I'm going to use the the more colloquial term. We'll get into the business term in a second. But if you're talking about something on Friday and you're talking about what a lot of people think about, you are talking about payday, baby. That's right. Payday. We're not talking about the candy bar. We're talking about compensation. Um, I imagine this would be a topic that would interest a lot of listeners. A lot of listeners and uh, a lot of sales leaders and, uh, you know, the challenge for CEOs, the challenge for heads of sales uh, is that developing compensation plans and thinking about compensation is probably one of the few uh, requirements for running an organization that they have, they may have no experience in whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, we certainly know what people generally get paid and generally how they get paid, but how do you manage um, all of the different moving parts of a, an effective comp plan, especially in the context of a high-performing sales organization or an organization you're looking to scale? Dude. Well, so for me, uh, this is, we know where the rubber hits the road for so many people, but I got to tell you about something I read that I thought was really cool. It's going to kick off this conversation so we can have a, a conversation where we get to some, to a place of wisdom awareness and sophistication, not sloppy, just throw money, uh, which I know you've got a lot of strategic thoughts about. Um, so here's the story. This guy was, he goes to Chick-fil-A at lunch and he sees this younger guy. He Somehow he found out his age, uh, I guess, through the process, but he's a little over 20 and he saw him hustling like crazy, getting it done, like balancing everything, just in a positive attitude. Uh, and I forget what industry or business this guy was in, but he saw that guy doing it and just asked him how much he made an hour. You know, it's like 12 bucks an hour or something. He goes, and he starts with us on Monday. <laughs> he recognized someone that added a lot of value to that organization and thought, mm, I bet he could help us a ton. And so I, I think for me, establishing a common ground here is we know how critical this is, but how misunderstood it is where people just think money is going to solve everything. And I've heard you say this enough that it it's sunk in a little bit, right? That for those right people, it's not just money isn't just a part of the equation or money isn't the only part of the equation, but it is a significant part. So what do you think for you is the most common misunderstanding or approach to compensation that you think is just broken and flawed for how the sales industry works? That's a, it's a great question. Uh, 
I think of it, I think a lot of it has to do with my age. So when you think about uh, the components of compensation that are the most misunderstood, the first is that salespeople are coin operated, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that is a, you know, I refer to that as an old school attitude. Now that's supported by anecdotal evidence. It's also supported by research. So anecdotally, I've been doing this for 30 years and I'm the son of a veteran sales guy who did it for 30 years. And, um, you know, back in the day when my dad was selling, I mean, he was learning to sell while I was being born, literally. He was uh, a new hire for the Allstate Insurance Company back in 65. And uh, and when, about the time I was being born, he was uh, going through training. Um, and, uh, you know, what they what they... The way that they ran sales organizations back then was they wanted you to join the organization, get the training, but then right away, they were encouraging you to get married, have kids, get a house, and get an expensive car. And the whole idea was we wanted you to be hungry. And so the, the, the management technique of, the, of that time, that era, was to uh, create pressure from inside so that you had to focus on your work and you had to get stuff done. You had to make money. And uh, generally sales folks back then made more than average workers. So if you built a lifestyle that was expensive uh, and you were earning more than most jobs could pay, then you weren't going to leave this job either. And because of the nature of insurance, as you make sales, you build a book of business and that book of business will pay you year after year. And so the longer you do it, the less likely, likely you are to move because that book of business has equity for you. It has, uh, it's an asset. So the whole kind of, the whole idea back then was uh, we're going to manage you by building pressure for you and creating some fear for you. And then over time, you'll learn to love it. Don't worry about it. Uh, well, you know, today, right, a lot of the folks that grew up then um, with that kind of attitude, a lot of folks that grew up in the 80s, you know, in the 90s where um, growth was king and money was king and money was so important, um, carry with them that concept that salespeople especially are going to be coin operated. When in fact today, uh, based on the research that we've found and the research that um, we leverage in our business uh, very few high-performing salespeople are money purely money motivated or primarily money motivated. Instead, they see the value that of what that money can do for them in their life. So it's not about the money; it's what the money can do for them. So it's important. What's more important today is that people feel like they're being compensated for the value they bring to the organization. So that person. Uh, that you told that you talked about busting their butts for 12 bucks an hour. It's very common to find young people who will um, give you more than a fair day's work for the compensation that they're being paid. And it's also common for employers to think that they can just ride that wave indefinitely. But what's more likely is that that person will begin to recognize that they're being taken advantage of. And that'll have two problematic effects. One is they're going to uh, see you as somebody who is taking advantage of them. And then that's also going to kind of leave a bad taste in their mouth and kind of make them more coin operated in that they will now see that their job is to uh, trade 
value for dollars. So they're going to be less, they're going to have less pure joy in their work and be much more focused on striking that fair deal, which is ultimately a good thing for them, but they will have lost a little bit of trust. Yeah. Seeing them as coin operated. I, I love that phrase. It's so strong, strong visual image. And, and really, this is something you've spoken of before. It dehumanizes, it objectifies the person. Uh, I want to let you comment on that, but I got to tell you this, dude, I had a nightmare last night. It's so crazy. It's related to this uh, so deeply because my one of my kids, their job is taking advantage of them. It is just what you described. It's happening. And when she comes back and tells me about the culture, I feel like I'm coming out of my skin. Like... I'm going to call him right now. I'm going down there. And of course I wouldn't do that and, and take away her agency, but here's how I know it's psychologically bothering me. Last night I wake up cold sweat. It was a real dream, dude. It was so intense. And I thought it had happened. She came home from school, senior in high school. She came home and she had been beaten up at school in my dream Mm. and, and really bad. And I was just so angry. And I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's not real. But it, it still resided in my heart emotionally. And I was like, okay, why did I just dream that? So intense. And it just came to me as soon as I, I thought, I was like, oh, it's because I'm seeing her get taken advantage of. Uh, and it's making me come out of my skin. And so when we treat them this way, when people are treated this way, they're, they're objectified. They're not treated as a human. We'll get to what it means to, to treat the whole person. Uh, mm-hmm. But for for people that are listening to this though, and they're going, hey man, just just get them to perform, get the job done, put the coins in, who freaking cares? What what happens if they don't listen to this? Well, if, you know, one of the things that um, effective leaders, now again, what is an effective leader? Um, we tend to think of, you and I tend to think of this idea of a healthy leader. Um, healthy leaders create other healthy leaders. Um, Unhealthy leaders create other unhealthy leaders. So let's just think about this for a second. If we we think of uh, viewing employees as coin-operated and we develop a attitude toward them that objectifies them, what do you think they're going to do to the people they manage? Mm. And what do you think they're going to do in a sales context to the people they lead, especially the customers that they lead? Right. If they're being objectified and treated poorly or in an unhealthy way back at work, that is going to um, that's going to seep into the way they treat your customers. Uh, but if you treat people with respect, right, and you have a healthy relationship from a leadership perspective, and you cultivate core values that are aligned with the mission and vision of your business, and they're aligned with the brand that you put out there in the marketplace then you'll cultivate individuals who act in a way that's aligned with your brand and the way that you expect your customers to be treated. Mm. Uh, and and you know, to have a salesperson who's purely coin-operated and not working for you for any other reason than to make money, then they're really going to treat customers more like disposable assets. They're going to view that customer as only valuable to them if they can pay the money. Mm. Uh, and that's the relationship that your salespeople will actually be building with your customers when they have those belly-to-belly conversations, which is the most important you know, connection point uh, between your organization and your marketplace. Yeah. So you're building 
you're not building this brand you want with the experience that they're going to have with clients and customers. You're not building the, the culture you want because of what happens. Like you said, how are they going to treat their team? And it makes me think of those leaders that will talk to, you know, that are at, at, you know, at a place of either, I know my culture could be better or I hate this part about my culture. And I'm like, okay, well, how long have you been there? Like we've talked about before a few years, then it's your culture, right? This is, this is what you've shaped it to be. And so that has to, that has to be really stared down in the mirror and owned. So we got all these problems that happen for those that would want to go on a journey of change and really get compensation dialed in before we get some of the advanced parts and I've got some questions around that for you. If, if somebody's starting, starting on their sales leadership journey or starting on a different path and they're wanting to get out of that coin-operated model or mentality, where do you point them to begin? How do you, how do you start doing compensation in a way that is effective and builds the culture you want? Yeah. And I think that, that last part of your question says it all. So what is the culture that you want? You know, a lot of organizations um, are led by folks who um, understand the idea of culture, but don't really understand how important it can be in their organization. Therefore, it doesn't get the attention that it could get. And so culture is something that just happens versus something that we plan for and build in a proactive or programmatic way. Um, so what you what you have to be thinking about when you think about compensation, the first thing is making sure that your compensation plan um, aligns your employee with the goals of the organization. So the organization's goal is to have massive growth very quickly, for example. How do we create a compensation plan that focuses our employees on um, those critical levers that will drive that growth? In other words, are we paying them to do stuff that doesn't really add uh, fire to that or fuel to that fire? Are we just paying them to get stuff done that we think maybe allows us to manage them easier? I'll give you an example. Um, when you think about a comp plan, there are there are plans that will uh, compensate individuals for sales made, but you can also imagine a plan that would compensate a salesperson for meetings set or for great conversations had. Um, if you're compensating somebody for a leading indicator like meetings, and you don't also comp or consider the quality of those meetings, then you'll be paying them to get busy work done and maybe not add much value to the pipeline that you're trying to build to feed the growth that you want to achieve. The same thing can be true if you're paying them a high base if you're paying a high base just for showing up and getting their work done, and uh, you're, that means you're going to be paying them less from a, in a variable context for the, for, uh, as a reward for them producing sales, which is what your organization wants in the first place. So the question really is, why would a sales leader or a CEO um, build a compensation plan that isn't aligned with the corporate objectives? Typically, that's because they are compensating for an inadequacy within the sales role itself that they have to make up for with a plan that is not connected to or not aligned with the larger goals of the organization. And so they are, they are building a comp plan designed to fix 
the inadequacies that exist inside the sales organization and the sales process and the way the organization is led and managed. Um, and it ultimately has a cascading effect and affects the entire organization. Mm, yeah, man. I love it. I just want to use the phrase comp structure to feel intelligent in your world. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is everything. Yeah. What are you rewarding? Uh, and we can all imagine situations uh, that we've been in where we know what was getting rewarded was antithetical to the real result that was desired. So somebody starts out on this journey, they imagine the culture they want, they start putting in motion what you've laid out. Where do you see the pitfalls that follow uh, taking these steps that keep them from really uh, seeing fleshed out into these structures of compensation that are tied to the results, but build this health and build this healthy culture. Yeah. Well, when you think of what every CEO and sales leader wants is a top performer. And when you think about what top performers expect, uh, you have to put your yourself inside their shoes. If you were a top performer and you had the option to go work anywhere, what would be the criteria you'd look for? Uh, the first thing to recognize is that top performers, view, especially in sales, they view themselves and they view the, the, the decision to find a job as an investor would evaluate any kind of investment, hmm. right? They're not looking for just pay. They're looking for return on their time. So a top performer is always looking to optimize the amount of money they can make for the amount of time they dedicate to their job. And over, over the course of their career, if they're highly focused, they get really good at being highly effective. When I was selling, for example, I was there were lots of top performers around me, but I learned from them and I got to the point where I could join an organization and within one year be into the accelerators in my comp plan. So I could be, I could move beyond quota into multiple levels of accelerators so that I could earn max money. And I knew that if I worked hard and smart enough, I could make that happen. Uh, so every job I evaluated was based on uh, not base compensation. I wanted to mm -hmm. see a highly leveraged plan, meaning the variable component of the plan was much higher and much richer versus the base. We have we have clients, for example, that have base compensations of around forty thousand bucks for salespeople, men and women who make four hundred grand or more. Why? Well, they're they're top performers. They they know what they can do, and they don't want to have their compensation uh, minimized or marginalized with a plan that isn't that rich. They want to go someplace where who cares what the basis? Let me get paid for what I'm worth. Mm. And so, so the only way you can build a plan like that is if when a is is it is if when a top performer comes to see you and asks you what the plan looks like, if it's structured in a way that's going to attract that top performer, great. The next question is who else in your organization has hit these numbers? In other words, have you already figured out how to help your salespeople get to their number? Do you already know how they should be selling to make that work? Or do they have to come into your organization and figure it out for themselves? So typically an organization that hasn't figured out sales best practice or a sales process that's going to optimize the performance of the sales team, if, they're, if they don't have that in place, then they're hiring to, as you've heard me say before, fix their sales organization versus hiring to fit that's that process, that standard way of, of operating. And so a top performer is going to look at that and say, you know what, 
that's not for me. And, and what and uh, what's going to happen is you're going to be attracting the mediocre and poor performers. Why? Well, if you don't have a process that you know works, you're not going to be able to really um, get away with paying a high or a highly leveraged comp plan, which means you're going to have to have a higher base structure and a smaller variable structure. And that higher base is going to now attract those mediocre and poor performers. And it's going to um, send those high performers away. And even if you manage to bring a high performer in, when they see how hard they have to work to make that little bit of money, they're going to compare that to what's available in the marketplace and you won't be able to keep them. Yeah. So, so, so as you see, so you can see what happens, Chris, this is this idea of alignment. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, keep going. But this idea of alignment is critical. You've got to think about your, your strategy structure, the roles that you have in the, in the sales organization, their goals, that comp plan, those people to get to a point of execution that you can, that you can leverage to get to the strategy that you started with. Yeah. If you don't have that alignment, you don't think about all these different pieces making sense, then you're going to build an organization with holes, with gaps, blind spots that will end up eventually holding you back and may even convince you incorrectly that your organization is already at its peak performance because mm. you, you've surrounded yourself with folks who have reset that bar at a lower level. And because it's been, you know, this, this has been... Um, it's been a process that's been proving itself over and over again, because you've only been able to bring on mediocre folks. You haven't been able to keep top performers that might convince you that you're doing the best you can. When in fact, it's just a matter of creating that, 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 that improved alignment, that end to end alignment or value chain for your organization. Oh man, you, you're, you're firing on all cylinders here. You know, I love a good analogy and what this is inspiring in me because I want people to really grasp what you said, this idea of alignment from front end to back end of the process, the strategy, the structure, the roles, the goals, the people, the systems, the comp structure, it's all got to be thought through. So here's what this is taking me back to. Uh, you and I both have a shared love for a certain restaurant brand in, in the city we live in because we know it's going to be great service. It's a great atmosphere. It's delicious food their distribution has to be so dialed in. There's no danger of getting an upset stomach from something that's spoiled, you know? And so, so we dine at these for our dates and everything, because that's the place we know the experience is going to be great. And uh, we may just change locations under the brand. Well, we happened to be out for something with one of my kids and went to a place we don't normally go to. Uh, and it's a place we've been before, but still you walk in, right? There's a slight little fish odor from the sushi bar, not strong. And the food was good, but I had come out of the restroom and I was just noticing that decor felt a little drab, right? How much you have to know to really run a restaurant well. You, you can't just be like, I like to cook. I like to talk to people. You got to have interior design. You got to have this. It's all of this whole picture. And because if you don't have all of that whole picture, uh, something is off. All it takes is for something to be a little bit off and you get this result you didn't want. And this is, I love how you said it. The bar is lowered. You think this is as good as it can be. And it made me think of this restaurant where it had a slight little smell to it. You know what? The workers don't smell it anymore. <laughs> they don't notice it for them. It's in the background. It's the norm. Their brain has learned to filter it out. 
you and I could notice it upon first step in the door. And that's what's so powerful about getting all this aligned. You're, the sniff test is so elevated. You are zeroed in, dialed in. You know what you're doing. Um, so really, really powerful. I want to set up this last question, at least the last one that's on my head. So one may show up uh, as we get into this. But I know in my own life of eight years of hunting for my own food, I would rather have a down month that gut punches me and the potential to change my life the next month uh, than some stable consistency that somebody's handing me. Um, and, and that's what I'm hearing when you're walking through what these higher performers do. Uh, they're evaluating, right? And, and so, so many organizations are working against themselves because they're attracting people that are going to hide out in the shadows, as you say. What's the advanced learning here that you've seen? It, they, they, they take step one. They really think about the culture they want to build. They take step two and they start thinking through the alignment front end to back end. How, how does this journey finish well? How do they run through the tape, stay yeah. sustainable and consistent with yeah. this compensation awareness? Yeah. Well, well what's the ultimate objective for a company that's scaling up or in the growth stage the ultimate objective is to is to have a lots lots of tactical short-term wins but to keep that momentum going so we have to be thinking about how do we create short-term revenue but then also build a systematic approach to growth that can be sustained over time so it's not just a matter of hiring a top performer and having them work for you for a little bit and then if they get tired or they want to leave replace them Right? We have to look at the system that they're a part of. Uh, it's just like uh, any kind of professional sports team. And my head goes right to football. It's the one we probably watch the most in our house. But think about a, a professional football team. There are football teams um, here in the U.S. right now that haven't won a championship or been in the playoffs for decades, right? Mm. In, in the entire life of one of my kids, they haven't even sniffed the playoffs. <laughs> that is an or Now they haven't had, it's not like they haven't had access to amazing people. What's missing, right? What's missing? They're missing that system, th that approach that not only attracts great players, but turns those players into a great team. Mm. The misconception in sales is that we have a bunch of individual contributors that don't need motivation, that don't need leadership. That is, that could not be further from the truth. Great players, we refer to um, our salespeople as players. Great players want to be around other great players and they want to be valued and developed. They want to become better. They're always looking for that next 10% or 1% or 3% improvement. Why not, right? I mean, you've got to do something with your time. Um, is it realistic to expect that somebody at the beginning of their career who was hungry to learn and always thought they could get better would stop being that way midway through their career or some point at the end of their career? It's just not the case. Um, they want that constant stimulation, that constant leadership, that constant development, and they want to be part of something bigger than themselves, just like any other human being. So when we look at salespeople as coin operated and we dehumanize them in our minds, not maybe not on purpose, but we look at them as just it just it's just cogs in a mechanism that's designed to make us money and they're easily um, exchangeable, then we miss a huge opportunity 
to provide them the leadership to create the leverage within the organization, shared best practices, camaraderie, motivation, the grit required to be resilient in good times and in bad. Uh, that is what creates sustainability. So the mistake that I see a lot of folks make is when they bring top performers in, they feel like they don't need leadership. They do need leadership. What they need is a leadership is they need what top performers need is leadership. They respect hmm. leadership. They trust, you know, and this is not to disparage anyone who's listening right now, but if you've got a top performer who doesn't want to follow your lead, doesn't want to listen, doesn't want to come to meetings, doesn't want to complete their uh, tasks required for every member of the team, and you can't seem to reach them, it may simply be that they don't respect you. And there isn't a close enough relationship between you and them to make that work. The key now for you as a leader is to figure out how to connect with those top performers. I oftentimes say, Chris, that um, it's hard for a B manager to hire and motivate an A player. And you can just look at any other sports team out there. You know, if you look at uh, you know, the, the Boston, I'm sorry, the Brooklyn Nets, I was just thinking of them because the Boston Celtics just knocked them out of the playoffs. Boston is the hometown of my wife and my kids. Um, so I kind of enjoyed that series. But if you look at the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, they have some of the best players in the world on that team, and they couldn't make it into the playoffs or through the playoffs, the first round of the playoffs. Why not? They didn't respect their coach. Their coach had no impact on those players. In fact, one of the best players in the team talked about how he and the rest of his players were going to manage the team differently next year. Right? So there are some top performers who have lost the faith and lost the respect in their leadership. So what we have today in, in the uh, sales world is an environment where we have a lot of top performers and future top performers looking for leadership teams that they respect, places that they can rest and uh, invest and feel part of so they can develop their career and become all that they believe they can be, right? They know what their potential is. They're looking for an organization and an individual who can help re help them realize that. Dude. So if you want to build sustainability into your organization and drive growth for the organization, you have to not only think about the alignment you're creating between your goals and the execution that happens in the field, you have to be thinking about what does it mean to actually lead a team of top performers and what kind of requirements are there for the leaders that you have uh, around you as a CEO of an organization? Yeah, man, that awesome. Of course, you know, that's hitting on all my bells and whistles uh, with leadership. Thank you. I want to make sure people don't get away from the zoomed out view here of the forest, these three pieces, because these are going to be such clear, strong takeaways. Uh, before I do that, I do have to say this, uh, people, we should, there should be a drinking game for this podcast. Every time we mentioned Tom Brady, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I actually, he has a saying, he's like, are you collecting talent or building a team? Which is like exactly, I think what happens, uh, in sales leadership, uh, because yeah, you described it. We're collecting these high performers. How do we sustain it? We start building the team. So clear takeaway here is first you want to think about 
what kind of culture you're trying to build under this umbrella of compensation. Second, you're looking at alignment front end to back end on the elements that Jimmy walked through. And then third, you don't stop there. There's more. You take these leaders that you've got now aligned into the system on a journey of them becoming master level in their ability to lead and they get meaning from the mission and they have autonomy still as sales leaders to go out and create a preferred future, which some of you are recognizing meaning mastery autonomy from Dan Pink's drive, I think is a a good framework there. So dude, thanks for taking us on the ride. What else you got? Well, I think the last thing I'd say is you reminded me of a point that was just brought up to me by a recent conversation with a client. Um, where does where do sales leaders typically come from? They're they're typically top performers, right? Former top performers who want to want to take that step into management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we think about when we think about a leader and this level of leadership required to actually motivate a team of high performers, that leader has to have given up the identity. And you and I talk about identity all the time, but they have to give up the identity of that individual contributor and assume the identity of a leader. Your job no longer is as as it was when you were a top performer to just be a solo individual, go go out and, and uh, close business, hit your number, do everything you're supposed to do, everything you commit to your leadership, your, uh, your boss to do to earn your money. You have to be now willing to move beyond that and carry the mantle of leadership, which means you're done developing just yourself. You are now developing yourself as a leader, somebody who's responsible for developing others. And so the best leaders are able to let go of that, um, that identity connected to simply being a top performer in spite of everything else that's going around. The worst leaders are the ones that just want recognition for what they do and take recognition from their team. One of my early managers in my career, um, he, he, he told me point blank, James, your only job is to make me look good. And then he would proceed to take every idea I gave to him and claim it as his own. And that was his shtick, right? And so that's, that's obviously an extreme example. But I would just say to you that for anyone listening, yeah, leadership's important, but you've got to be willing to step into that role and give up the idea that it's just all about you. You've got to be much more interested in now thinking about and figuring out how to build that team and give to that team what they need to create the leverage to generate that one plus one equals three or five or 10 kind of impact on the business and on the community that you're working within. Right on, right on. Love it. When I'm secure in who I am, I don't need that validation. I'm looking at how others can grow. It's not about me. Um, servant leadership, as you talk about. And uh, what a what a powerful note to end on. So thanks for giving us the wisdom today. I hope the listeners are recognizing how powerless, powerful this can be when they see these three phases and they pay attention to where they are and they take action. Yeah, great conversation. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. 
And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace. Peace.